0: Cory Ten Boom, you might have heard of her, was a a Dutch Christian who, during World War II, her family uh, rescued uh, Jewish people, uh, harbored them, saved them in a number of ways, but to the point uh, where the Nazis came and arrested them. Uh, Her father was killed. Her and her sister, Betsy, I believe it was, uh, were taken to one of the famous um, concentration camps Called Ravensbrook. And uh, she survived, her sister did not. And after the war, she became pretty famous for her writings and uh, uh, some of her charity work. And she started speaking in all kinds of places. And one of the things that she talked about remarkably after going through all of that in World War II was forgiveness. And I want to read you something that she wrote. This comes from a book by Brian Zahn called Radical Forgiveness. Um, But one day she was speaking at an event. She was talking about forgiveness. And uh, as she was talking, she realized, she looked out into the crowd, and she saw one of the guards that had been in charge of her at Ravensbrook, And he had happened to be one of the most cruel guards that was there. And she talks about afterwards seeing this guard get up and come forward. And reach his hand out and ask her for forgiveness. Can only imagine. And this is what she writes about it. She says, "I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses." I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had come. I, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what their physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guide, guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I have tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans 5.5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. I don't know what you think of when you hear that, when you hear that story, that very extreme, powerful, but very extreme story. If you're like me, you probably feel or think about one of two things. There's a part of me that hears her story and there is the utmost respect. To think that you could go through such horrific treatment, that you could lose family members, that you could see what you saw and experience uh, some of the most horrific things that many of us could imagine, and that you would be able in any way to participate in forgiveness. Uh, I, 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 there's just no words to describe how much respect I would have for somebody who seems to have such a deep character, such a, a profound willingness to do what you believe God is calling you to do through Jesus and to extend forgiveness in that circumstance. And then there's another part of me that honestly, and I think a lot of us would probably identify with this and and be able to go, yeah, the other part of me feels like, I don't know if you should forgive in that instance. Should you really forgive in that instance? I mean, with that extreme, where's the justice in forgiving someone who's participated in something like that? And shouldn't we be standing for justice? That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair, and I don't know how to get my head around it. Now, most of us I've never had an experience anywhere close to that. We have all experienced slights and hurts and pains that people have inflicted upon us. We have all been in a situation where we probably haven't felt like it, but we know we should probably forgive someone in order to move on. Many of us, we've experienced things that are much more significant than that. Maybe not to this extent, but we've experienced life-altering experiences. Things where people have cost us very dearly in our lives, where we have had significant pain and hurt, where we have lost certain things in our lives that we might never get back, where we have scars that we carry through our lives. And when we hear a story like this, even if we don't go to that extreme level, we can sort of identify with it and say, do we really, should we really forgive in some of those circumstances? Is it fair? When should we forgive? Who should we forgive? Forgive? And if we forgive, this is the question I want to tackle today, if we forgive, are we enabling bad behavior? Are we saying it's okay? For her to, to forgive someone who is part of this horrible atrocity in the history of the world, is it giving people a pass? And should we be doing the same thing? And yet, as she writes, Corey Ten Boom writes, her observation of those that she knew and were in a concentration camp with and saw afterwards was the very real warning that those who held on to bitterness, those who held on to the hurt, who didn't move forward in in a significant way were those who in all areas of their lives struggled to be healthy. But those who found a way to forgive actually found a way forward, actually found a way uh, to release some of that pain and hurt even if it wasn't easy. So can we talk about that today and think not only of the extreme examples, but also uh, in our own lives. And uh, today, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be very challenging because I'm going to challenge you before the morning is out to think about whether or not there is someone or, or more than one person in your life that you need to approach and initiate some form of conversation leading to forgiveness and reconciliation. You ready for that? Here we go. This is what Jesus says about forgiveness in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. He says, The next morning as they passed by the fig tree, he had cursed. That had happened just a a few verses earlier. They'd come into the city and they saw a fig tree and and there was this whole story and and Jesus cursed it and it stopped bearing fruit and there wasn't much explanation from it. We're going to get the explanation now. The disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. So this tree had been cursed. Now they come back to it and they realize the tree is dying. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God or trust God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Forgive, he says, anyone. In another translation, it says, forgive anyone that you have anything against. Anyone that you have anything against. Okay, let's talk about this for a little bit because you've got this story about a fig tree. And you've got a mountain that Jesus says, this mountain you could say, you know, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will happen, and Jesus is declaring it. Here's what's happening. Jesus is not just talking about metaphors, um, about trees and mountains, and you can do whatever you want when you pray. He's actually talking about the temple and the current state of the religious system of his day and his culture. So when he talks about, in Mark, this mountain, he's talking about the mountain upon which the temple is. So he's not just talking about any mountain here. Oh, whatever, you can do big things. Sometimes that's how we take these verses. Just if you want to move a mountain, move a mountain. It's your challenge, it's your obstacle, whatever. He's actually talking about the religious system. And what he's saying here, the same thing is with the fig tree. The fig tree, or fig tree is supposed to grow, and when it's healthy, it bears figs. And so you can see the fruit of a tree shows you how healthy the tree is. A healthy tree bears healthy fruit. An unhealthy tree is not going to bear healthy fruit. We see the fig tree that is cursed is now dying. What Jesus is saying is the way that we are currently living out our religious convictions are not working, they are dying. And when he says you can take this mountain and throw it into the sea, I think what he's actually saying is the way that we are doing our religious thing, people are coming to the temple and they're supposed to be finding forgiveness. They're supposed to be finding reconciliation. They're supposed to be finding a way that shows them how they can be reunited with God and be put back into community. And that's not happening. And he is showing them and telling them, if you come follow me though, we can see that happen again. We need to recover what is good and beautiful about our religious practices, about what it means to really trust in God. And so when he says, you could tell this mountain to get up and go to the sea, he's saying, listen, this whole system that is now corrupt, and I don't think Jesus um, is, is critical of his religion. He's critical of how corrupt it had become, how bankrupt it had become. But what he's saying is, listen, this is not working anymore, but we can find a better way. And he says, come follow me. And that's why he links it here with forgiveness. Because people are coming to this place and this system to try and find their way back to God. And forgiveness and reconciliation, they're not finding it. So listen, this could all be thrown into the sea. Come follow me. The tree that's supposed to be bearing fruit, the religious system that's supposed to be bearing fruit, is dead. We need a better way. So then when he talks about trusting in God, and he talks about really believing in God in prayer... He brings it and says, first, as we do that, because this is what the whole thing is. This is one of the, the the key pieces of the whole thing that everything comes upon is. Then you need to forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against. That if we're going to have meaningful connection with God, if we're going to have meaningful uh, religious participation." This needs to be a place where people find forgiveness. And it can't be just, uh, you know, window dressing and it all looks good and here's a big building and here's some outward sacrifices. But instead, for us to be the kind of people who forgive, offer forgiveness, grant forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. So who should we forgive? According to Jesus, anyone you have anything against as we reflected on communion this morning, when we really grasp the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of everything that's against him. That God has gone to great lengths to reconcile us to him. When that reality lives in you, really deeply and becomes a core value that you receive it, you will also give it. It's what we read this morning where uh, Paul talks about us. Now we are ambassadors. We are now the ones who are bringing that message because we have received it. We now bring it to other people and it's what Jesus is saying. Let's forget the hypocrisy of the religious system. Let's forget that this is how it looks and here's kind of the outward processes and let's get back to the fact that if we're doing this right and we wanna see fruit in our lives of trusting God and being in God's presence, we need to receive and be willing to give forgiveness. To live in a cycle of grace. To put down uh, the idea of revenge and getting back at each other and instead receive grace. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to look at a number of things that Jesus says about forgiveness. Matthew chapter 5, five says something Uh, similar, but just a little bit different. So in Mark chapter 11, we heard, uh, go and forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. So just remember, you have a grudge against someone. You should go and forgive them. Now in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, so you're going to do your religious thing. Remember, you're part of the religious system but now he's going to say, you don't just go through the motions, but now you go to the sacrifice and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you. So the other passage it was, I have something against someone else, but now I remember somebody has something against me. Is that an accusation because I've actually done something or because they think I've done something? Maybe I'm wrongly accused. He doesn't say, but in Mark chapter 11, I have something against them. In Matthew chapter five, they have something against me. He says, then leave your sacrifice there at the altar, Forget the religious stuff for a second. Forget going through the motions. Stop. This is what it's about. And he says, go and be reconciled to that person. Mm -hmm. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So listen, don't just do all the religious stuff. Don't just do the temple stuff. Remember the whole point of this. Something's between you and them. Go get reconciled. Go figure it out. Because that's part of the big point of all this whole system. If you're not doing that, the other stuff is not going to make a difference. So when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your difference quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. That sounds awful. He says, just avoid that first. Go and be reconciled. So here's the amazing thing. If you have something against someone else, it's your responsibility, Jesus says, to go and start a conversation with them, to go seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And if somebody has something against you, it is your responsibility to go to them and initiate a conversation conversation to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? Now you might say, someone said, no, I love that. This is so good. No, because that's my exact next point. Here's why. Because most of us go, that's not fair. That is not fair. In fact, some of us might argue for both of those things, it should not be me that has to go. Somebody's wronged me, they should know it. And I'm going to wait for is their, uh, their responsibility to come to me because they've wronged me. I've got something against them or they've got something against me. Well, if they've got something against me, then how am I supposed to know? You better come to me and say it. We have all kinds of ways to excuse ourselves from initiating and taking responsibility to start that conversation. And we can oftentimes say, and that's not fair. It's not fair for me to have to initiate that conversation all the time. You're right. It's not fair. But forgiveness is not fair. This is not about fair. God doesn't treat us fair. God treats us so much better than fair, with grace and love and forgiveness. That's what it means to be an ambassador of forgiveness, is not to say, I'm gonna sit back and I'm I'm gonna let somebody else do what they're supposed to do. That's fair, but hear me out. It's not mature. Just hear me out, and I'm with you on this. Same feelings, same thoughts. It's their responsibility. They should come to me. They've wronged me. They know, it. Why, why do I always have to do it? That's not fair. It's not. But if you just ask yourself this question, this is a dangerous question to ask, but if you have a conflict with someone, there's something in between your relationship that needs to get healed, you could ask what's fair and come up with all kinds of reasons why you should or shouldn't do certain things. But ask yourself this question. What would the most mature version of me do? Ah right? You agree, don't you? Hey, we're in a fight. Hey, there's a conflict. Hey, we're married and there's, there's this problem and I'm waiting for them to come to me. Maybe that's fair, but what would a really, really mature version of me do? Say whether it's fair or not, I want to initiate a con- I want to move towards forgiveness and reconciliation to figure out what this looks like. And it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? That's where we start. Who should we forgive? Everyone that we have anything against or even if they have something against us. It's not fair, but it is mature. Okay, next. Does that mean that forgiveness will enable bad behavior and abuse? We read those passages, and if we just stopped at those, we would almost make it sound like Jesus just goes, oh, somebody did something wrong. You just say... Oh, I forgive you, and you move on. And we have often shortchanged our experience of forgiveness, and it has not led to reconciliation, and that's a problem. So now let's talk about what an actual process might look like, because last week we talked about this. We don't want to just be passive and say, Oh, no big deal, you did something to me that hurt me, it cost me. No big deal. That's passive. We also don't want to charge ahead and just be punishing and revengeful. And I'm going to pay you back and hurt you and make sure you feel as bad as you make me feel that it costs you as much as you cost. But then what's the process of actually doing something healthy? So now we go to Matthew chapter 18. Listen to what Jesus teaches. If another believer or actually a brother or sister sins against you. So that is there's an assumed relationship that you're in. These are people that we have some kind of close familial relationship, whether that's your actually family or your spiritual family. He says, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take the case to your church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So does forgiveness ignore justice? Is forgiveness just a, oh, you did something wrong, I forgive you, and you move on, the answer is no. But forgiveness is the precondition for for restorative justice, for putting things back together to pursue, to restore a relationship. So what are the tools for forgiveness and restoration that need to be part of the process? Because it can't just be a, I'm sorry, no big deal. That just doesn't cut it, especially for the bigger, more hurtful things in our lives. Number one, see that Jesus says it's about confronting the issue. If someone sins against you, go privately, point out the offense, bring it to light, talk about what's true. We're not just ignoring this. There's a fault, there's a hurt, there's something that has happened that is wrong, that shouldn't have happened. We need to confront that issue. We need to talk about what's happened. Hopefully on the other side, there's uh, some form of um, contrition. An apology, you can't control someone else, but uh, hopefully there is. He says, if they listen to you, that means if they understand, if they learn something about how they've hurt you, if they respond, these are all parts of aspects of that word in Greek, to understand, to learn, to respond. Then he says, you have gained or you have won over a brother or a sister. This is amazing. Tim Keller says this, and I think it's beautiful. He says, seek to win a person and not an argument. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't just to seek to win an argument. I want to be right. That doesn't really lead to reconciliation and things. If you're married, you understand that, right? I always say this when I do premarital counseling to people. When we talk about conflict management. I say, if you're trying to win a fight, you're always going to lose in marriage because there's only one side. So if you walk away thinking, I've won and they've lost, you both lose. And I think Jesus is saying here, not just for people who are married, but in any relationship, if you want to be in a relationship, what you need to do is first see each other as being on the same side. And that's very difficult when it's been painful because they have hurt you, but to realize that I am someone who is created and loved by God, forgiven by God. So are they. And even if there's this huge thing in front of us, what we need to deal with is the issue. And we need to confront that issue. We need to bring it to light. Hopefully there's a response, there's a learning, there's an understanding on both sides. But we need to actually talk about it. We can't just be passive and say, oh, I'm sorry, oh, no big deal, and we move on. That's not going to move anywhere. But we also don't want to say, my job here is to punish you, to hurt you, to bring you to pain. No, actually what I want to do is to bring you to my side. Realize that we as humans are on the same team. But we need to deal with this. We need to confront it. We need to go forward in a different way. Second tool, if the first one is confronting the issue, is community involvement. Jesus then says, so if they don't learn, if they, if they don't uh, respond in a proper way, then go and take two or three others. Now this is tricky, a lot of wisdom, but I think what Jesus is saying is, bring some other people that can help you be objective, that can help speak into the issue. That it's not just I'm upset, you're upset, we're yelling and screaming at each other, we can't get anywhere, you don't see my way, I don't see your way. But instead, maybe bring some trusted advisors alongside that can help be witnesses to testify. Witnesses testify to what is true, to what is necessary, to bring some community involvement. Jesus will then say that if that person refuses to listen, so you're still not getting anywhere, maybe they're stubborn, to bring the church into it, to take them to the church. We think of, when we hear the word church, something like this, a gathering of a whole bunch of people, That would be quite awkward, wouldn't it? Sunday morning, hey, who wants to bring up somebody that they have a beef against and we'll just put it all out there? Churches have done it, it's awful. Jesus, by the way, there's no church yet when Jesus is speaking. The original hearers of the Gospel of Matthew by then probably would have taken this in a slightly different way, but they would have seen church. Church just means uh, an assembly, a, a gathering, people coming together. They probably would have seen that always in much smaller, more intimate groups than we think. So closer to what we call life groups or a small group, people who have good, strong, intimate relationships with each other. He's not saying just like, you know, haul them up in front of the church and embarrass them and shame them. No, no, no. He's saying there's probably some people around that have good relationships with you that you can trust. Bring them in. Into it if it's appropriate. And then if that doesn't work, bring them into that, that bigger group and, and talk about this. We're supposed to do this together, that there might people, be people who could share wisdom and help you. Uh, but again, it's not this, hey, big group, shame people. No, it's in the relational groups that hopefully we're building together, where we can go deeper together. We don't always have to do these things alone. And he says, if that doesn't work, Treat them like a Gentile, so someone who's not part of our uh, ethnic or religious family, or a tax collector. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. What if somebody does not respond well to this? What if somebody does not want to be forgiven, does not want to ask forgiveness, does not want to seek reconciliation, doesn't want to go forward? We're going to talk about all those answers next week, but we should just understand, don't assume, I think what he's saying is, don't assume a relationship where there isn't one. So he brings up examples of people uh, where he started with, these are people who are in relationship that have hurt each other. Now he gets to a place where he says, um, if they're not responding, if you're not getting anywhere, if you're not able to have constructive conversations, there's no learning and understanding, then you probably need to stop assuming that you have this close relationship. You need to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Now, we often again think that's bad. We need to treat them poorly. But you have to think of it through the lens of Jesus. How did Jesus treat pagans people that weren't part of his family he's always inviting them in how did Jesus uh, treat tax collectors tax collectors for Jesus were usually Jewish people who were working for the Roman government to collect taxes and often took too much they stole from their own family their own uh, people so they were not trusted they were often therefore outcasts we don't you know we can't associate them we can't trust them we can't be uh, close with them but uh, we're reading here in Matthew's gospel Matthew was a tax collector what did Jesus do as he came by the tax collecting booth and Matthew's there, he invited Matthew to come and to follow him to live in a different way. Matthew got up and he left the, his booth. He left it behind. He left that life behind. He came and embraced something new. So when Jesus says this, he doesn't say, oh, you're going to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, which means now we're going to be against them because we tried. No, now we realize that they might be further away than we thought they were, but we're going to still invite them. Invite them to a different way. It might be uh, further off relationally than we would like, but that is our goal. The goal is not to win an argument, but to win a person. To win back a relationship. To seek health and to repair what has been broken. So last week we went through a quick chart. We talked about uh, a couple of different ways we uh, attempt to deal with conflict The first is our motivation is kind of the status quo, just to keep things the way that they are. Oftentimes that means our consequences, we excuse them or there's no consequences. We don't really want to deal with the issue. And our goal is just to keep the peace, but that doesn't solve any of our issues. Some of us, our motivation is revenge. I want you to feel the way that I have felt. Our consequences are condemning, they're condemnation. I want to hurt you. I want you to feel guilt. I want you to feel what I have felt. And the goal is retribution, is to get back at you. Jesus invites us to start with love that comes from realizing that God loves us and forgives us, allowing that to rest deep in our hearts. The consequences doesn't mean there aren't consequences, by the way. It just means they're restorative rather than uh, condemning or retributive. That yes, there are natural consequences when people do things that hurt other people that are wrong, that are hurtful, and that we don't just say, well, there's no consequences for your actions. No, but instead of saying, the, you know, I'm going to try and hurt you, there are these consequences that help us move forward. And the goal, rather than keeping the peace or retribution, is, restitu- is reconciliation, is for us to come back together. Skip ahead real quick. We have uh, just a couple of tips. What would this look like if you wanted to pursue this? Uh, Very difficult process sometimes. Uh, Let me give you a couple. Uh, One, some tips for confronting issues. One, address the issue, don't attack the person. You say, I'm going to go out, uh, I'm going to go out this this week, and I'm going to talk to somebody. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, we do this relationally. Um, We attack, we say you, and we often escalate never or always. You never, (laughs) you always, you, 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 I'm attacking you. Remember, uh, we want to see people, even when we've been hurt and the feelings might not be there yet, we want to see people as created by God in his image and offer them forgiveness. And so first, we do that inner work and we want to address the issue rather than attacking a person. It might start with I statements rather than you statements. I was really hurt when. I was really confused when you said, I've really been having a hard time with the way you've been treating me, or this has happened. To turn that around instead of attacking, bringing us on the same side. Second, listen with humility. Because as much as we would like to believe that uh, the other person in a conflict is always at fault, And that happens sometimes, and sometimes it's egregious and abusive, and it should never happen. But a lot of times our disagreements, we own a slice, don't we? And so we need to have some humility and where we might want to confront someone else, we also need to give an opportunity for them to speak and for us to listen and to acknowledge what's the piece that I need to own in this confrontation, in this conflict, in this hurt. Where do I need to apologize, rethink, and change the way that I live? Listen with humility. And then brainstorm and establish some steps to a solution. What would it look like for us to move forward? We're not just forgetting this. We're not saying there's no no consequences. There's no consequences in our relationship. Things don't go back to the way that they were when people have hurt each other in deep ways, we don't automatically trust each other, we shouldn't automatically trust each other, that takes time to rebuild, there's a process, it might involve getting outside help, going to see a counselor together, talking to a life group leader, or people trusted in your faith circles, and asking for help, and what does it look like to rebuild a relationship, not just to say, oh I'm sorry, oh no big deal, and pretend like things are ready, but to actually, to actually establish a solution that moves forward, and that realistically can take a lot of time a lot of time, to deal with our hurt and our grief and to move forward. Can we have forgiveness without reconciliation? Can we have reconciliation without forgiveness? There's a lot of scholarship out there. People argue about the terminology. Um, Have you really forgiven someone if there's no reconciliation? Here's how I will put it. and I'm going I'm to overlap two stages of forgiveness. The first one we would call inward or attitudinal, attitudinal forgiveness, which is a willingness to offer forgiveness and seek justice. This is something, as an individual, I can do, you can do. It's my willingness to offer forgiveness, even if it's so difficult, and to seek justice and to seek reconciliation, and inwardly I can decide to do this no matter what somebody else does. I don't want bitterness to grab hold of my life. I don't want to carry around the anger. So I'm going to work through the anger. I'm going to talk to a counselor. Uh, I'm going to feel it. I'm I'm going to uh, talk to the person that I need to talk to. I'm going to start a, a process of offering that forgiveness. I can do this on my own. But the other part of forgiveness, reconciled forgiveness can only be done by two people. And that's the giving and receiving of forgiveness. Working on restoring the relationship. I can offer you forgiveness. I can release myself from being bitter. I can release you from uh, me wanting to perpetuate revenge and inflict pain upon you. But the relationship has to go both ways. That reconciliation or reconciled forgiveness happens when both people join that process and work on it together. Tim Keller, again, in his book, Forgiveness, says, Attitudinal forgiveness can occur without reconciliation, but reconciliation cannot happen unless attitudinal forgiveness has already occurred. Uh, That I might forgive you, I don't know if you'll receive it. I don't know if you'll work towards reconciliation. But reconciliation must have, uh, as a prerequisite, that, uh, that, that component of us saying, I'm willing to walk towards you in forgiveness, and hopefully in reconciliation, if you'll receive it and work that way towards me too. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, well, what if someone has hurt me and they're not going to apologize? What if it doesn't work? What if this process, we don't get anywhere? What if they stand opposed to me? So come back and listen to that. But I'm going to leave you just with this simple, but I think very, very difficult question. And when I ask it to you, I just, I want you to take this in the context of the love and forgiveness of God being Poured out in Jesus to you today, to us today, to all of us today, to know that whatever you have done, God wants to forgive you. God has reconciled the world to Himself through Christ. He's called us to walk towards Him in reconciliation and walk in love with Him and to be ambassadors of what that looks like. And so, even if this seems very heavy for you, maybe it seems impossible, maybe there are relationships, friendships you wish were restored. Maybe there's family that you've been apart from that you wish were put back together simply ask you this, in the grace and in the power of Jesus and the cross and the Holy Spirit living inside of us, I ask you, is there a conversation you need to initiate? Is there someone you need to walk towards, to offer forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, and if they're willing to work towards reconciliation? And I know for many of us that that just might be so intimidating and so hard, and so I remind you we don't do it alone and we don't do it in our strength, but we start with realizing this is what God has done for us in Christ. This is good, and this is beautiful. And the power of the Holy Spirit, you can take a step. Is there someone you need to have a conversation with, initiate a conversation with? Pray that God would bring healing and reconciliation the way he's given it to us. So Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the things that you've taught us uh, through Jesus. And yet, I just know that there's many of us already probably thinking about uh, how daunting it is, how painful it might be to forgive someone, offer them for forgiveness, how much we might uh, be longing to be reconciled with people that we are not right now. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit, in a unique way, would show to us uh, your love, your presence, that we would become more aware that you are with us, that you would remind us of how powerful the cross is to break down the barriers between us and you and between us and other people. Would you give us courage where we need courage to start a conversation? Would you give us wisdom to know how those conversations need to go? Would you give us the relationships and community to properly support one another as we seek uh, forgiveness and reconciliation in all different areas? God, I pray that there be some of us today uh, who think that there are relationships that are a lost cause and that you'd prove us wrong. And that as we trust you and have faith in you, we might see people coming together in powerful ways that we never thought we would see the way that you have brought us together with you. In Christ's name.